Welcome to the Life Fellowship Ministries International Broadcast. Our mission is to develop, maintain, and model personal intimacy with Jesus Christ. And now, join us for the Life Fellowship Experience. I'm so excited for today's message. We're in this series, Say What? what? Say What? And uh, today, uh, the, the title of the message is Words of the Father. Every, every year on Father's Day, I do a specific message tailored to fathers. And I thought, you know what, this year I'm, I'm just going to give a little exhortation and I'm going to encourage the fathers, the men. And uh, as I began to, you know, just put that little piece together, I felt like the Lord was saying, no. No, you're not just going to gloss over this today because the role of the Father is so vitally important. And uh, so he gave me some things that I believe are going to be life-changing for us today. And uh, this message is going to be real. It's going to be personal. I think uh, it's going to be intense, not just for me, but I think it's going to be intense for all of us. I think it's going to be real and so um, I'm so glad that you're here today. You, you may not be a dad, but we all have the commonality of, of that we all had dads or have dads. And uh, dad, the Lord expects you to take your role very seriously. And uh, he takes your position. The Lord takes our position seriously. And dads, you are the leader of your home. It's not a value thing. It doesn't mean that men are more valuable than women at all. It doesn't mean that at all. But it does mean that men, we are the leaders of our home. And my burden this morning is for men. Because we need to have good, solid men in the family, leading our families. I mean, you know the destruction that's happening in the family unit, and uh, it was the first uh, institution that God created was marriage. And um, my, my, not my first point, but my first slide today is words. We're talking, we've been talking about words. Words, they matter. Words, they reflect our heart. And if you want to know what's in your heart and what's the condition of your heart, listen to the words that are coming forth from your mouth. Proverbs 18.21, which is our core scripture for this series. The tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. And as I was preparing for this message, the words of the Father, I was thinking about God. And uh, I was thinking about God speaking. And in Genesis, we know that God spoke things into existence. He said, let there be light. And there was light. Three days before he created the sun and the moon and the stars. And so God spoke things into existence. But when it came to man, he took special care. The word said he fashioned us from the dust of the ground. And then he blew breath into us and, and man became alive. And so he spoke everything into existence. But yet he took the time to fashion us with his own hands. So let's look at Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Who's he talking about us? We know that he's talking about the Trinity of God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so we are created in his image. We are not God, but we're created in his image. And one of the ways that we can look at that is we're a three-part being. 
God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We are a three-part as well, body, soul, and spirit. Our soul, our mind, our will, our intellect, our emotions, our passions, our emotions, our reasoning and logic, our emotions. Those are part of our soul, and so those are all individual because you can take the soul, if you could take the soul out of someone and place it in someone else, they would be a different person. And so God has created us all uniquely, and we were created with his attributes that we can love, that we can think, that we can, you know, do all these different things. Um, We have a free will. Jesus had a free will. But he chose to obey. He had some hard choices. But he always chose to to follow the Father. And we were created with the the ability to to love. We were created with intelligence and creativity and the ability to problem solve and solve issues and things like that. So in Genesis 1, uh, verse 26, they will reign. Talking about us, he says, let us create men in our image and they will reign God created us to rule and to reign his over his creation he told Adam tend and keep the garden what a sweet job man I mean can you imagine if you would have been Adam just living in the garden I would I would envision be someplace like the Caribbean with all the foliage and you know just like being on permanent vacation and all he did all he had to do was tend and keep the garden So we've been given authority, dominion over God's creation. Let's look at Genesis 1.26. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So my first point this morning is with authority comes responsibility and accountability. Imagine that the, the owner of the company that you work for comes to you and says, hey, I want to make you the chief, chief operating officer of the company. Would you like that position? And you may begin to think about, oh, wow, that's going to be a huge increase in my salary. I'll be able to go play golf with the clients or whatever that looks like. I'll have a lot of freedom. But maybe the thing that you haven't thought about is the responsibility If a couple of months down the road, the owner comes to you and says, hey, look, our our safety program is slipping. What's going on? Our sales are slipping. What's going on? Our competition is taking over market share. And so with with this uh, uh, authority comes the responsibility and accountability. And so we're accountable to God. Men, we're accountable for leading our families well. We may think, well, you know, I'm not going to take that accountability or I'm not really responsible. It doesn't change the fact that we are. Genesis 1.27, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Is there any question that we were created? We didn't evolve from an amoeba or from a monkey. According to God's word, he says three times here, we were created in his image. We weren't an accident. You were not an accident. God created you specifically for such a time as this. And God has gifted you. God wants to have a relationship with you because He's a good Father. We're talking about fathers today. He's a great Father because because some of our earthly fathers may not have been that good of an example. But He is. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, take care of it, watch over it, 
Genesis 1.28, rain over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, look, I've given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. And I have given every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the small animals that scurry along the ground, everything that has life. And that is what happened. He gave us all these things. He says, here, look, I'm blessing you with all of this. I've given you dominion and authority and power to rule and reign. And then God looked over all he made and he saw that it was very good. And evening passed and morning came making the sixth day. And then we know that on the seventh day, God rested as a model and a template for us. He says, there's six days in which you can do your work. On the seventh day, you are to rest. And so we have the responsibility to watch over, lead, and protect our families, men. That's part of our role and our responsibility. So my first point is with authority comes responsibility and accountability. My second point is, Dad, follow the Lord. Seek Him. Know what His purpose and plan is. Read the owner's manual. Read the Bible so that you know how to handle everything because everything that we need to know is in that Bible. It doesn't tell you how to turn on a computer, but it will tell you how to have patience as that thing boots up or whatever. <laughs> Moses was giving the Lord instructions to the children of Israel before crossing into the promised land. And this is one of the most powerful scriptures I think in the Bible it's one of the ones that that you've heard me quote numerous times because I think it's so important there are scriptures in the Bible that I think God has highlighted for me and for us and so many times you'll hear me talk about John 10 10 where Jesus said the thief has come to steal kill and destroy but I've come that you would have abundant life why because that's important that's applicable to today because we see the thief stealing and killing and destroying marriages, people. But Jesus said, I didn't come for that. I came to set you free. That you would live the abundant life. Yes. And this is another core scripture found in Deuteronomy 30, 19 and 20. And again, Moses is pleading with the children of Israel before they go into the promised land. He says, today I've given you the choice between life and death. Between blessings and curses. So we have the same choices today, right now, that they had thousands of years ago. We have the choice to follow the Lord or not. 19 continues. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. I'm calling on heaven and earth to witness the choice that you make. Who makes the choice? We do. Verse 19 continues, Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. Moses has a heart for the people. He was the first mega church pastor. He was leading millions of people. But when you look back and, and read the history and the account of Moses, he had a heart for the people. He loved them and he's pleading with them. Time and time again in Deuteronomy 28, he says, please follow the Lord. These are the blessings that you can expect to receive when you follow the Lord. And these are the anti-blessings if you choose not to follow Him. And so he's pleading with the people here. He says, so that you and your descendants might live. He's talking to people that are alive. So he's not just talking about having breath 
and, and existing. He's talking about living in an abundant life that Jesus came to give. That God, our Heavenly Father, created us to live. He's, not, he's talking to people that are alive and He's saying, it's not only for you, but for your descendants that come after you. That you would not just survive, but you would be thriving and you would be living the abundant life. Have you ever known anybody that's in a coma? Are they alive? Well, they may physically be alive, but they're not living the abundant life that, that Jesus came to give. And without Him guiding and leading our lives, I think we're just going through the motions. We're just going through life. But Jesus came to set us free that we would live this abundant life. And then he goes on to say in verse 20, here's the key to our life. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying Him, and committing yourself firmly to Him. This is how you can make this choice to live the abundant life. Loving the Lord requires a personal relationship with Him. And so that's why we talk about our mission here. You know what? To develop, maintain, and model a personal intimacy with Jesus Christ. Because this is not about just coming to a nice little service. It's about connecting with Him. It's about Him doing something in our hearts and lives. It's about this transformation process to draw us into this deeper, more intimate relationship with Him. And that is the target for this church. It should be the target for every church, in my opinion. It should be the target for every Christian that we come into this relationship with Him. A personal, intimate, not just know about God, but to know Him, to have that kind of relationship with Him. That's why we were created. So it requires loving Him, requires a personal relationship with Him, obeying Him requires us to choose to yield to Him and His plans for our life. Because it's up to us if we want to do that or not. And then committing firmly to Him requires a relationship of commitment and trust. How do we build trust? How do we, how do we trust someone in relationships? It's because we have a history with them. Because we've seen how faithful and loyal they are. We've seen how much they love us and care about us. It's not a superficial relationship that allows us to really trust someone. And so you've seen you know, a, a, a dad saying, go ahead, jump, son, I'll catch you. There's a history there. And so the Lord wants to have that kind of relationship with us that we trust Him. When He says jump in faith, we know that He's going to be there to catch us because we have a history with Him. We've seen Him meet our needs and we've seen Him be faithful when He tells us to, to follow Him and trust Him. So trust comes through longevity of walking with the Lord. It's a lifelong process. Where God is building our faith. Where God is building our trust. Deuteronomy 30.20 You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying Him, and committing firmly to Him. It's those three things. Because we can love the Lord but choose to disobey. We can be non-committal to Him. And he says, he finalizes this in Deuteronomy 30.20 This is the key to your life. So you want to know what the key to your life is? Love God, obey God, and commit firmly to Him. I know that we have political issues in this nation. But our larger problems are spiritual. That we have turned away from God. 
You see what's happening in many churches today where they are negating the truth of God. God's word says do this or don't do this. And they choose to disregard God's word. And God's laws are, are not there to punish us or hinder us. It's there for our own good. And the greater issue is turning our backs on God. Disregarding his instructions for our lives and following other gods. These were the primary problems for Israel. When you go back and look in the Old Testament, time after time after time, God said, do not intermarry with these other tribes. Why? Because he knew that their hearts would be pulled away from him and they would begin to worship and serve these pagan gods. And time after time after time, that's what we saw happen. And I think that this is going to be a problem for us in the future. Not only for us, but for America as, as, the, as our culture begins to turn away from God. But we don't have to do that. We shouldn't do that. And if you love and obey the Lord, Deuteronomy 30, 20 continues, and if you love and obey the Lord, you will live long in the land the Lord, the Lord swore to give your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So he's talking to them back there, but he's talking to us today. The key to your life is love God, obey God, and commit firmly to him. So my first point is with authority comes responsibility and accountability. My second point is dad, follow the Lord. My third point is dad, be a godly man, a godly husband, a godly father, and a godly leader. The Lord has designed us as men to be godly. But that requires us as men to have a relationship with him. To be the man of God that he's called us to be. To be the husband that he's called us to be. To be the father to be the leader you determine if you're going to walk with the Lord that's a decision that you make you determine if you're going to demonstrate godly character and yield to him and allow him to work in your heart and life you decide if you're going to live a life of integrity if you're going to honor the Lord if you're going to live godly lifestyles let me ask you a question to consider men are you faithful to your wife? I want to put these points up. And uh, do, you, do you want your children to demonstrate the character that you model? Think for a moment. In the life that you lead and, and the characteristics that are in you, do you want your children to demonstrate those as well? Do you want your daughters to marry a man just like you? Most likely, she will look for a man just like her father. She will look for a man just like her father. What are you modeling to your wife and your children and others? Is the Lord pleased with the way that you're leading his daughter, your wife? You know, there's a correlation between God answering our prayers and how we treat our wives. The Bible says that we need to honor and, and take care of our wives so our prayers are not hindered. You know what? Because he cares about his daughters. He's like, oh, no, don't, don't you be laying a hand on my daughter. Or I'm gonna, your prayers are going to be hindered. Is the Lord pleased with the way you're leading his children that he loves and he's given you responsibility for? See, we think we own our children. We don't own our children. They are just given to us as stewards. And our goal should be to raise them up to have godly relationships and to, to, to have godly character and integrity. And 
Let's see. How do children learn? There are three ways. What are they again? Example, example, and example. <laughs> Dad, your words are critical. Dad, your character is critical. With authority comes responsibility and accountability. Dad, follow the Lord. Dad, be a godly man, a godly husband, a godly father, and a godly leader. One of the things that is eroding and corroding our society today is the family unit. Divorce is rampant. And I think that most of our problems that we have are because men have not fulfilled their role. They've abandoned the family. Uh, the bigger problem is that men don't have a relationship with the Lord, aren't being led by the Lord. Um, probably, statistically, most of you that are married in here have been divorced. And I'm not here to beat you up over that. Uh, I know that there's grace and mercy and there's forgiveness. We all make mistakes. But divorce was never God's plan. And uh, most of you know that I'm married to a very strong woman. And uh, I love her. She's great. But she's strong. And you know that she's told me, I'm not going to be weak so you can be strong. <laughs> and that is true. And so, men, if you're married to a strong woman, you have to be a strong man. And that doesn't mean you're a dictator and you abuse your wife or anything like that. It just means that you need to be strong. And we can get our strength from this connection that we have with the Lord to empower us and give us creativity and help us to communicate with our wives effectively and efficiently. But we need the Lord in our lives. Marriage was the first institution the Lord created. And he intended marriage to be permanent. We know that when we get to, mar uh, when we get to heaven, we're not married. But I'm talking about here on this earth, marriage is to be permanent. And the sad thing is, is, is that 50% of all marriages fail. And that's not just out in the world. That's in the church today, too. 50% of all marriages fail. Uh, Pastor Christine and I are, are very pro-marriage. And let me say, one biologically born male and one biologically born female. It's unfortunate that I have to say that, but that's, that's what marriage is supposed to be. And uh, we, whenever we someone asks us to marry them, we meet with them most of the time for six to, eight, six to eight hours in three different sessions to talk about marriage because it's important. You know, I've had people say, hey, well, will you marry us? No, I don't know you, and I don't marry, I don't officiate a, a wedding for anybody that, that I'm not sure that we haven't talked about and discussed the primary things. And just because we have a, a meeting doesn't mean that we're going to agree to marry them. Because if, if, if we think that they shouldn't be married, then I, I'm not going to do that. Because marriage is supposed to be permanent. And divorce is never supposed to happen. So 50% of all marriages fail. And I think the biggest reason is because it's not founded on the rock of Jesus. And let me tell you honestly, uh, I don't know if, if Christine and I would be married today well, I'm pretty sure if it wasn't for the Lord in our lives, we wouldn't be married. And then the second thing is before we got married, I told her divorce was not an option. Murder, maybe, but not divorce. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, but 41% of first-time marriages end in divorce. 41%. Think about the impact that that has 
on the individuals that are getting divorced. Think, think of the impact of the children. Oh, well, maybe, maybe the second divorce, I mean, the second marriage is better. Well, 60% of second marriages end in divorce. Well, maybe the third time. Third time's the charm, right? Okay, 73% of third marriages end in divorce. I'll stop there. I didn't even look at four or five, okay? My point is, is that when you get married, you need to make sure God is leading you. You need to marry the right person, and then you need to be committed just like you're committed to him, you need to be committed to one another. And here again, I know probably many of you have been divorced and remarried, and I'm not here to beat you up. I'm here to say that there's grace and there's mercy and there's forgiveness. But our problem is, is when we turn away from God and disregard his instructions for our lives, for our marriage, for our home, there are consequences. This was compiled by the Department of Justice that I found, Fatherless Home Facts. Survey says... Many, many young men become rapists that are coming from fatherless homes. 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes. 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes. 72% of adolescents serving sentences for murder are from fatherless households. So you see that there is a correlation there, men, between us taking our rightful role and position and staying in the family and the impact that it can have on our children. A dad cannot fulfill the role of a mom, and a mom cannot fulfill the role of a dad. And I know that sometimes there are situations where that's unavoidable. But, but the point I'm trying to make is that my burden is for men to stay in the marriage, to stay committed to the Lord, to stay committed to your spouse, because the consequences are, are not good many times. And dad, you set the direction and the destination for your family. Dad, you set the destination and direction for your family. And you may say, what? What? You are a huge factor in the lives of your children and family. Your influence has a direct um, impact or correlation to the outcome of your children. You will strongly contribute to the success and the health of their marriage and of their lives, or you will contribute to their failure, broken lives, broken marriages. Your influence will last for generations. Don't believe me? I want you to close your eyes. I want you to consider the character and influence of your dad in your life. Now, you may have had a really good dad. You may have had a, a bad dad. You may not know your dad. I mean, it could be any of those. But consider the influence your dad has or had in your life. Okay, you can open your eyes. Consider your, grand, your grandfather. I was, unfortunately, I, I didn't know either one of my grandfathers. But what influence, if your grandfather, if you knew him or he's still alive, what influence did he have on your dad? What influence did your grandfather have on you? Maybe you've been fortunate enough to know your great-grandfather. Earlier, I told you that this would be a personal and a real message for you and for me. It's about to get real, y'all. I'm going to share some personal things with you. 
And my heart is not to be graphic in any way or, or anything like that, but my, my desire is to get us to have a picture in our mind of how important our role is as a father. When my mom was about 10 years old, she was in her front yard, and she heard the self-inflicted gunshot wound, gunshot of my grandfather committing suicide. She was in her front yard, and she heard my grandfather shoot himself, committing suicide. My aunt was her older sister. My mom had two other sisters. Um, my aunt, my oldest aunt, was the first one to get to him. Um, but when I would ask my mom, I would say, Mom, how did that affect you? I mean, I can't imagine that, that you could go through the trauma of something like that and not be impacted. And you know what her answer was? I didn't need him. I had my mom. That's messed up. <laughs> that is messed up. But that's how she could deal with it. Maybe that's how she dealt with it. Maybe she took that on as, as personal as being rejected. And in, in some ways it was rejecting for her. And that's how she had to deal with it. She said, I didn't need him. I had my mom. Like I mentioned, her sister, her oldest sister, was the first one to reach her dad. And she became a nurse. She was a registered nurse. And, you know, think about that. I think my Aunt Kathy loved to help people. And, you know, I don't know a lot of the background that was going on there with my grandfather and reasons for that. But my aunt loved people. And my aunt was very special to me. Um, she married a man that eventually became a lieutenant colonel in the Air Force. And they were very affluent. They had a beautiful home. I remember going there for Christmas and they always had nice cars and my cousins always had cool, cool toys and, and cars and stuff. But from what I understand, my grandfather was a womanizer and an alcoholic or drank a lot. And uh, the, the man that my aunt married was a womanizer and an alcoholic. And uh, he got, he, I, I guess he, he had multiple affairs, and he got this woman pregnant, and, uh, and the woman was going to have an abortion. And my aunt begged and pleaded with him, please do not do that. We, we can adopt this child. We can raise this child as our own. But I think the abortion happened anyway. Now, fortunately for me, my mom didn't follow that trend. She married a, a, a godly man who was a good father uh, to me and, and always provided for us. But, but my dad lived with my aunt and uncle, this one that, uh, uh, that found her, her dad. And he became very good friends. They were like brother and sisters, really. And he was very close to them. But my aunt told my dad at one point in time that she was going to commit suicide. And he didn't believe her. And I remember when I was about, probably about eight years old, we had uh, gone out on my dad's birthday. And we'd spent the day together. And it was a beautiful day. And we got home. And there was a phone call that my aunt had committed suicide on his birthday. And the, what I remember about the situation is we drove to San Antonio 
that afternoon or evening. And my parents told me that my aunt had died. And I said, well, as an eight-year-old would probably ask, well, how did she die? And they said, well, she was sick and she died. And so uh, we got there to the house and all the adults were sitting downstairs. They had a beautiful two-story home and they were all downstairs. And I was just kind of there bored. And, and I wandered up the staircase and I walked into my aunt and uncle's bedroom and there was a gentleman there cleaning up the mess. The sheets were saturated in blood. There was blood on the headboard and on the wall. And I said, what happened? And he said, well, your aunt shot herself. And I remember running down the stairs saying, you lied to me, you lied to me. My parents, you know, what do you tell an eight-year-old regarding a situation like that? And, and many of you know the story, too, that about four years prior to this, my aunt that had committed suicide, uh, both my aunts were there, my mom, my cousins uh, of this lady that had committed suicide, I was there when my older brother drowned. We witnessed that. That was four years before. So I know that my parents were dealing with stuff already, heavy stuff. And now my aunt had committed suicide. And, um, you know, the, the thing was is that I think that the decisions that my grandfather made had a direct impact on some of the things that happened generation to generation to generation. And I know that my, my two cousins, uh, my aunt that committed suicide, she, they had a son, and he was probably 16 years old when this happened, and his sister was probably about 18 or 19. And, you know, the interesting thing about the story, too, was remember my mom's family was home when my grandfather committed suicide. And so what happened with my aunt my cousin and my uncle pulled up in the driveway, and they heard the gunshot. My cousin ran up. He was the first one up there, and I, I don't know what that situation was like. I'm sure it was horrible. But do you see the parallels? My grandfather shot himself in front of his family, basically, and she did the same thing. Because what did she see? She saw a pattern. She saw a history. She saw something there that resonated within her. And, you know, I think about my grandfather, I think about the selfishness of what he did. He was an only child, so my grandmother ended up taking in his mother. His mother, can you imagine living with your mother-in-law for 30 or 40 years and being responsible for her? My, my grandmother raised three daughters. She worked 12 hours a day, seven days a week, and never complained about it to provide for her family because of what her husband had done and jumped on her. My, my female cousin that her mom committed suicide, she, I don't think she ever forgave her dad. I think she hated him. I know when he died from alcoholism, he lost everything. He lost everything. And uh, when he died, my cousin uh, said she wasn't going to the funeral. And my mom talked her into it, said, you need to go. I think that's the only reason my cousin went, 
But I, think, I don't think she ever forgave her dad. And I don't know if there was sexual abuse there. Or I don't know. I don't know. But she never talked about her dad. She didn't say anything negative about him. But there was no love there. And when, when I think about all of these things, I think about, go back to my grandfather. What influence did he have directly on my mom, on my aunts, on my cousins, on me? That even though it was a... Uh, uh, not a direct influence on me. It had an impact on me and my life, my cousins. How, how does an eight-year-old deal with that? How does a, 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 a 10-year-old deal with that? And God never designed us to deal with those kinds of things. Yes, there are accidents that happen and bad things happen sometimes. Where does the... Where does the insanity end? I think it ends when we come to this place where we say, Jesus, I need you in my heart and in my life. I need you to be the Father in my life. Because He can change the course of our life. Because given to our own devices, many times we will crash and burn and we will do things that not only impact us, but generations to come. I'd like for you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Maybe you're here this morning and you're saying, man, I, I, I need to get my life right with God. Maybe you're, you're saying, uh, you know, I knew the Lord at one point in time, but I've walked away. If that's you, just lift up your eyes and, and catch my eyes. Just let me know that that's you. Anybody else? There's no shame in that. This is a safe place, guys. This is what church is supposed to be about. Where we can come into the presence of the Lord and be honest and real and receive from Him. So, those of you that, that caught my eye, if you would just pray this prayer. You can pray it silently. You can pray it out loud. The, the thing is that you pray it from your heart. Just say, Dear Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart I ask you to come into my life today. I receive you. I thank you for forgiveness for all my sins. And I thank you for this new beginning, this fresh start, this new day. And I receive you now. As Lord and Savior, I ask you to help me to forgive those who have hurt me. And uh, Lord God, I... I ask you to help me to go and ask forgiveness for those that maybe I've hurt. But I thank you for this new day. I thank you for this new beginning. And I want to pray one more prayer for, you, for those of you that prayed that prayer, really for all of us. Lord God, I pray that you would fill these with the fire and the power of your Holy Spirit, that as they read your word, as they spend time in prayer, even as they're driving or they, they look out and see creation, you begin to speak to them. You begin to impart life and blessings and, and build this relationship with them that we talked about today. And that they would come into a deeper, more intimate relationship with you. And that you would just pour into them, encourage them, strengthen them for everything at hand. Lord. So we pray this prayer with great expectation in Jesus' name. We hope today's message encouraged you. For more information about our church, please visit our website, lifefellowship.me.
We invite you to join us again next week for another life-changing, uplifting message. And remember to live it!